Hello, my name is Jody Lee Mott, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. On this podcast today, I'll be talking with author Padma Venkatraman about Margarita Engel's verse memoir, Enchanted Air, Two Cultures, Two Wings, and its sequel, Soaring Earth. Now, you may notice some odd little noises during the interview, and that's due to my lack of skills as a sound technician, really. But please don't let that distract you from the terrific talk I had with Ms. Venkatraman. But first, uh, like usual, I'm going to start with a poem, or in this case, poems. And the poems I'm going to read today are First Storm Ending, which is written by Jean Toomer, and Truth by Nikki Grimes. I, I found these in her poetry collection, One Last Word. And in this collection, Miss Grimes takes a number of poems from leading artists of the Harlem Renaissance in the early 20th century, and she writes her own poem in response to each one. Uh, Jean Toomer, the author of the first poem, uh, was a poet, playwright, and novelist uh, during the Harlem Renaissance, best known for his long lyrical poem, Blue Meridian. Storm Ending by Jean Toomer Thunder blossoms gorgeously above our heads, great hollow bell-like flowers rumbling in the wind, stretching clappers to strike our ears, full-lipped flowers bitten by the sun, bleeding rain dripping rain like golden honey, and the sweet earth flying from the thunder. Truth by Nikki Grimes The truth is, every day we rise is like thunder, a clap of surprise. Could be echoes of trouble or blossoms of blessing. You never know what garish or gorgeously disguised memories to be might rain down from above. So look up. Claim that cloud with the silver lining. Our job, if you ask me, is to follow it. See where it heads. My guest today is Padma Venkatraman, author of the novels Climbing the Stairs, Island's End, and A Time to Dance, and just released this year the middle-grade novel The Bridge Home. You can find Padma's website at padmavenkatraman.com. Thank you for joining me today, Padma. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I mentioned you you have a a new middle-grade novel, The Bridge Home, which I had a chance to read. Uh, For readers who haven't had a chance to read it yet, can you talk a little bit uh, of what it's about? Uh, certainly. It's a book that is about uh, two girls who run away from home because of domestic abuse and then find themselves homeless and hungry on the streets of an Indian city. And it's about how um, they is, they have a lot of things that happen to them that are really quite frightening and difficult. But uh, in spite of the, all of that, how they end up finding friends that become a kind of family and and together with two boys and a dog, they live on a ruined bridge. And the book then is about their adventures, how they, you know, scrounge off rubbish dumps to make a living. But in, in spite of all that, in spite of the horror of their situation, the laughter that's there, the joy that they somehow manage to find, and the hope that keeps them going as well as uh, some very difficult things that happen, including them being chased off the bridge and then going to an even worse place, which is a graveyard. And 
you know, it's all it's also about how uh, children who are abused and who have lost the trust of adults or who haven't seen trustworthy adults, what happens to them and are they ever able to trust? Now, when I was reading the book, I read the afterward, and I was fascinated that you did um, talking uh, to children in very uh, similar situations before writing the book. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that experience was that uh, helped you to um, write the book. Certainly. I mean, my I was born into a very wealthy family, but when I was about eight, my parents separated, and after that, uh, I was not so wealthy anymore at all. But my mother always made time to volunteer at schools uh, for children who had much less than I did, children like the kids in the bridge home. And I um, got to know some of the children there. And one of them was this girl called Indra. And she told me something very similar to what happens to the characters, to the main character in the bridge home. And she, Indra wound up actually living in a graveyard for a while because there were people who were living who were chasing her to essentially enslave her. And the only place that she could find safety was in a graveyard. And, you know, I think about that all the time. I'm, I'm a scientist. I say all this about not believing in ghosts. But if you try to put me in a graveyard for even an hour at night by myself, I don't think I'd make it. And there was this young girl who had to do that. Uh, what do you think you uh, for readers who read this, you know, this 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 amazing and devastating and 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 uh, like you said in the end, very um, hopeful story. That what would you really like to get out of it? Oh, so much! I think I switched from oceanography, as we spoke about the thing that I used to do, to writing because I felt like I wanted to touch people's hearts and touch people's souls, and I think the best way for me to try to make the world a slightly more compassionate place is through books. And I really hope that, you know, when a child opens the book or when anybody opens the book and starts to read that they don't just enter the book and get transported to India and to a different place. But I really, really hope that they also get transported into somebody else's mind into Ruku's mind, into Viji's mind, into Arul's mind, into Mutu's mind. And I hope that transforms them, makes them more empathetic when they put the book down, makes them want to act and do something to help homelessness and poverty and hunger from um, existing in the future. I wish, you know, we've lived for millennia or maybe for hundreds of years and we still haven't solved those terrible problems as human beings. And I always hope that the young people will be able to leave the world a better place than we left it for them. Was there a little bit of the book that you wanted to share? Sure. I could read a passage, which is, I think, probably my favorite one to read. And that's when Viji, who has run away from home and is walking through the streets of the city to find work along with her sister, sister, sorry, Ruku, they are wandering around and they wander into a compound where there's somebody very wealthy and the gardener in that house chases them away. And this is what happens then. 
And the book is written in second person, in direct address, which is kind of unusual as well. So it is essentially one sister speaking to or writing to the other sister. And as you read the book, initially you don't know why that's happening. And then, of course, you discover that as you go along. I took your hand and walked briskly out the gate. Something whizzed by my head. I ducked, shocked the gardener would go so far as to throw a stone just to keep up his pretense. The object landed with a thud. It wasn't a stone. It was an orange. I looked back, wondering if I should thank him, but the gate clanged shut. Might as well eat it. It's not big enough to share with the boys, I mused. You smiled. We sat in the shade of a gnarled rain tree. I gave you the orange. Ah, you murmured, cradling it in your hands as if it were the most beautiful thing ever. You ran the tips of your fingers across its waxy peel. You turned it around and around as if it looked different from every angle. Ah, you repeated. You raised the orange to your nose, took a long sniff, and then gave it to me. I took the orange and turned it around, just as you had. It glowed like a small, pale sun. I felt its weight, its perfect ripeness, not too soft, not too firm. I breathed in its citrus scent. I started to peel it, noticing things I'd never noticed before. How the leathery peel isn't colored the same all the way through. How the papery sections inside feel like leafy veins. How the pulp is shaped like raindrops. When, at last, I placed a section in my mouth, I could hear it burst as my teeth met the flesh, squeezing the juice out onto my tongue. Tart at first, and then sweet. Everything else melted away, except for the taste, the smell, the feel of the fruit on my tongue. I ate the fruit slowly, the way you like to do things. Until then, I thought it was a sad thing that you were sometimes slower than the rest of us. But that day, I realized that slow can be better than fast. Like magic, you could stretch time out when we needed it, so that a moment felt endless. So the taste of half an orange could last and last. It's remarkable. It's just um, how just eating an orange can take on a, such a significance in in the moment because it's such a... Uh, in this case, such an unusual and, ex and exotic thing. I want to ask you, uh, you mentioned uh, before, uh, yeah, before before becoming an author, you were an oceanographer, and just two questions there. First, I, I have the, a rough idea of what an oceanographer is. If you could just explain a little bit about uh, what that is. And I'm wondering um, how that, um, even though say you wanted to move away from that, but is there something about it that has uh, influenced you? as a writer uh, from that uh, previous career? Certainly. Maybe I'll answer that question first. I think one of the things that I still think I do a lot is 
to experiment with form and style. I just spoke about how the bridge home is written in direct address in second person. And I think it does two things. One is that, you know, it, 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 it adds a sense of not knowing to the beginning. It adds a touch of mystery in the way that it's written, but it's also such a different voice and it entered my head that way and I followed it. So it felt very sort of inspired and, um, and all of that. But I do think that although my books come to me as voices that seem to enter my head, I do think there's a part of me that really wants to experiment, that wants to try new things. And I think that's something I, I bring in from my career in science, this desire to explore new things. If you, if I were to use the metaphor that, you know, my writing were sort of this ocean that I was sailing on, I think each book is a kind of a different island that I want to explore. It feels like it's, I want to make it that way. I want each book to be slightly different in theme, slightly different in style, and for each book to push me in a way to explore something a little different. So that's something that I think I carry and the other thing I think I, I definitely take with me is is attention to detail in terms of research. And it's always been important for me to make sure that I speak to as many people as I can, that I read as many other books as I can, and so on, to just get background on everything. I mean, clearly with The Bridge Home, there's that aspect of domestic violence that I had survived, so I knew what that was. There was certainly the people that I knew, the, the friends that I had and their experiences that I had actually written down when I was little in a journal. Uh, and so I referred to that, but, but there was more. And that's why when I went back, I also tried to do as much research as I could. You know, each time I went to India while I was writing the book to speak to children now who are in socioeconomically underprivileged situations, to speak to adults who, who work with them and so on. Because I think you know the more you read the more you more you speak to people the more you immerse yourself in your character's world the better your writing will be uh the the book or actually books that you uh uh said that you wanted to uh talk about the uh, book for young readers are uh, uh memoirs actually two books uh by uh, margarita engel uh the first being enchanted air two cultures two wings a memoir which was released in 2015 and it's um the book that come after it soaring earth uh which was released in 2019 and both were published by anthonyum books for young readers uh for those who haven't had a chance to read um either one of these books can you talk a little bit about uh what they're about certainly so Enchanted Air, which is Margarita's first uh, memoir, is about her childhood, essentially. So it is about when she was growing up, and she is Cuban-American, and it takes place mostly in Los Angeles, where she lives. And when the revolution breaks out, so it's it's kind of, you could, I mean, it's not historical fiction, it's not that long ago, but it has that element of recent Cuban history to it. And when the revolution breaks out in Cuba, Margarita starts to get, you know, really worried about the family and all of the people that she loves, and even just the land that she loves that is so far away. And so 
there's that aspect that comes into it, as well as the whole situation between Cuba and the United States, the souring of that relationship, and you know the Bay of Pigs disaster, and and what the aftermath of that invasion is, and how Margarita obviously loves both places because she lives in the United States and she also lives in her mind in Cuba which is very much in her heart and it's it's about her um in a sense you know how where does she fit in and all of those questions the the questions of sort of identity and culture that she faces as she grows up and uh, that that first book, you know, like you said, it's this collision between her love of Cuba, which is her mother's homeland. And there's this new political situation, and then of course there's her her fellow students and uh, other adults who react in sometimes not very nice ways uh, to the situation, and her representing it to them, what's going on. And so she's, um, you know, has these conflicts going on. She's she's drawn to it. At the same time, uh, you know, things are going on and she's confused by how people react to her. I wonder if you talk a little bit about both her, her the joy she feels about thinking about Cuba and at the same time the pain of, of um, that she experiences, both uh, thinking about what's going on and just how people uh, in the U.S. are uh, look at her uh, as, um, as if um, she represents Cuba to them. I mean, one of the things I think that makes the book so accessible, if you will, and it's much more than just accessible, but I think makes it accessible to so many children in the United States is that many of the of the children will will, I think, be able to relate to this experience of having somebody they know that is perhaps an immigrant or has a strong identity with one culture and loves it and then has has also the feeling of being an outsider in in their own country in a way to some degree uh, and that that I think was something that drew me to the book clearly it's an experience that I have I I immigrated to this country when I was 19 so I came here when you know the phones were not even we didn't have cell phones the way we do now or anything so I had to call my mother once a month for three minutes and that was all the time that I ever had and to even you know to connect with her and so I think one of the reasons that I felt so drawn to this book was because it speaks of that sense of sort of missing home of of then starting to find a new home and yet you feel like home is two different places and your heart is kind of broken in two different places and in Margarita, in her books, seems to me sometimes to feel as if she is sort of this ambassador trying to represent this one culture to people who don't know it. And I think that's something else that anybody who has immigrated has that sense of it as well, has that feeling. Um, now, in the first book, you know, uh, along with these things that are going on, a family is very important to her. You know, her parents, her sister, and particularly her grandmother 
who isn't there. And so, um, you know, so her grandmother, even though she is sort of distant for a lot of the book, is a very, uh, as a figure that sort of looms large in the book. Just talk a little, the importance of a family and what it means, at least in this particular, uh, book to, uh, Margarita. Oh, you know, I wonder if we can, I have a, uh, I've just been finding some, places in the book that I love and I wonder if I could do it just through her own words uh, there's this poem traveling to my mother's hometown and I think I love the way that it captures both Margarita's own love for the for her family but also the the excitement of seeing the place her mother grew up her mother's family there's some sort of the and I think it's a sense that we all feel sometimes as children we have a percept, you know, we have just the faintest maybe glimpse of something that that is really a deep root. And as a child, I don't know that you fully understand or value the sense of where you came from and your roots, but I think it's there to some degree. And I think this poem captures that. So here it is. And it's called Traveling to My Mother's Hometown. We're finally leaving La Habana behind. We're on our way to Miami's hometown of Trinidad de Cuba, on the island's south coast, where my parents met. It's only half a day away, but even though I've been there before, it seems like a journey through centuries. Slow and dreamlike, completely old, yet strangely new. We pass sugarcane fields and banana plantations. Everything turns emerald green as if we're headed toward Oz. But there will be no wizards in Mammy's hometown, just more relatives and the house where she grew up and the farm where both Abuelita and my great-grandma were born, the farm where I plan to turn into my real self. And I love that because, you know, there's this feeling of awe, and I'm not sure how many Cuban children of her time would have known about Wizard of Oz, but, but you have that sense that here's this child and she is American and yet she's also Cuban. And that sense of excitement that she feels about, you know, connecting to something that is older and all of that. And, you know, if I may read just a, a wee bit from the next poem, it, it captures also, you know, quiet times. It has the sense of, of both the fact that she feels like an insider and an outsider, I think, in Cuba. Quiet times. I feel like I'm home, even though this peaceful town isn't my own. Everything is just as I remember from before the war. Palm trees and bell towers rise above rows of houses. Each wall painted its own shade of fruit hue, guava pink, lime green, pineapple yellow. A whole town just as quiet and colorful as a garden. Blue doves flutter from nests on the red tile roofs. Horsemen lead goats along cobblestone lanes. We stay in a house where I don't remember all the names of Mammy's relatives, but I do recall 
the comfort of cool tile floors on bare feet. And I love that so much because it goes on, the poem goes on, but I love that because there's the sense of um, of running around on barefoot, you know, bare feet, which is something that I did. I ran around barefoot as a child in India and and that I loved the cool tile floors under my feet. The colors that you have in India are so bright and, you know, she speaks about the color in Cuba and I know those are very different cultures and yet there is that some sense that I have when I read it of maybe my own my own experiences of going back home and I do know the names of all my relatives but I know that my daughter doesn't necessarily when she goes back. Well, I was thinking, even though this isn't an illustrated book, um, she uses words uh, very much to uh, paint pictures of uh, of what's going on, using this imagery to give us a sense of uh, what it's like to be there, at least in, in uh, or at least what it seems like to her in her mind as a child of what it might be like um, to be there. Yeah. And the way she describes things, I think I love. I mean, there's there's a there's a place when she speaks about sugarcane and sugarcane was something I I had and tasted in India as well when I was a child and I think she's she compares the taste of sugarcane to beams of sunlight and I think you know there's there's a sort of fresh imagery as well and comparisons figurative language that that the book is just filled with the second part of the memoir, the second book, uh, Soaring Earth, uh, deals more with um, um, older teenage years or, or the early college years. And whereas you think of um, Enchanted Air as her, um, you know, trying to fit in, and in Soaring Earth, it's it's almost a way of she's trying to push herself out uh, away from others and trying to figure out where she fits in the in the world. I think I I mean. I've read, first of all, I should start off by saying that I've read several books that I loved and then read the sequel and been very disappointed. I mean, I don't know if that's ever happened to you. <laughs> but And so I was a little afraid, frankly, when I started reading Soaring Earth and I thought, you know, am I going to be disappointed? And I wasn't. And I think there's just that, the beauty of her poetry again, that that carries through and that obviously doesn't fade. And I think it's it's a wonderful, wonderful way to capture memoir because it captures the, in a sense, the nostalgia without getting too sentimental. And I think that's hard to do, harder to do with fiction. And this book does that. And I think very much this book is part of what you um, mentioned, which is just that in this book, you see this this girl essentially growing into a young woman. And I love the fact that that, to me, is also mirrored in the metaphors of the two titles. You know, Enchanted Air is about, in a, in a sense, her flight of fancy, fancy, her imagination, and even very literally the plane that carries her from Cuba to Los Angeles and, you know, back to California. So there's that, whereas with Soaring Earth, there is that sense of a young person wanting to be grounded and 
as you said, you know, distancing herself in a sense from other people just to find her own roots to get grounded in who she is. And I think the I'm I'm looking at the book right now and you know there's it begins in 1966 and and it's divided into these lovely sections, you know, earthbound, it begins with earthbound and then speaks about wide air, wild air, drifting and then green earth and enchanted earth and it seems as though that those titles bring it a full circle from enchanted air to enchanted earth which i love and you know it's not to say that this book then leaves margarita as a person who completely figured everything out and and there she is at all it is to me essentially just her 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 sense of of growing into a young woman of essentially you know, beginning i think dreaming about maybe saving her babysitting money uh to to travel around the world which is still sort of a childish or childlike dream and then slowly you know starting to to really come to terms with who she is you know she speaks about her wide cuban my with my wide cuban hips and frizzy black hair i'll never belong with blonde surfers or elegant socials so i just have to hope that sooner or later other drifting bookworms will find me and you know it's it's starting to get that sense of self and i think in this book to me it was less less the sadness of the war between the two countries which is so much there in enchanted air and much more the sense of who i am and how am i then you know shaped by my history but also where do i go from here i mean i think it's less personal in a sense uh, uh sorry more personal in a sense and less uh, less of the history even though it's still there i mean there's still that sense of of the cultures and so on it's not as much i think about that the sense of cuba and america it there's a lot of american history in it so margarita grows up during or this portion of her life her teenage years are during the 60s and so it's there's a lot of what was going on in the 60s that that is also part of the book and certainly part of her life which is you know the civil rights uh, protests and the civil rights movement and you know that whole uh, era the vietnam war all of that turbulence outside the unrest that's going on outside in the in the world and also the unrest that all of us sense as teenagers and adolescents they're sort of mirrored in that uh, you know the internal conflicts and the external conflicts both which i think are so powerful in that book as well I think through both of the the memoirs um she talks a lot about the importance of books to her uh and how there's sort of things that she's you know she can always go back to and is constantly drawn to as an important um uh, value in her life. Yes, and I think the other thing that comes through in you know both these books and also actually in all of her work is is how much she loves nature and 
sort of loves to immerse herself in that world as well. I don't know if you got that, but I, I, I certainly felt that sense of it, um, that of this young person who, yes, and absolutely the, the love of books, the love of the, of the word, which, which, you know, must shape her as a poet, uh, and literary figure, but also this, this great reverence for earth and in, even in the language she uses and the metaphors are often richly associated with uh, with nature and the and the outdoors and the beauty of the of the earth, I think. Well, she does write this in verse, and there there are a few books out there for young readers in verse. I think of uh, you know older one, Out of the Dust, but more recently, uh, Inside Out and Back Again, and the crossover. Uh, but they're still an uncommon thing, and I'm just wondering what. Um, these are memoirs, um, but she made the decision uh, to write them at, in verse rather than uh, uh, prose. And what do you think the what the value or, uh, is in in this particular format? And what could other even prose writers uh, take uh, from what she does in writing in this particular way? Certainly, I, it's that's a wonderful question, and there are so many ways to answer that. The first thing I think, in a you know, before we move too far away from that, I just want to point out uh, some other verse novels. If anyone's listening and wants to and hasn't yet. And, you know, Brown Girl Dreaming is a brilliant verse by Jacqueline Woodson. And the more recent ones that I've been thinking of, Marilyn Nelson wrote, um, she's written several, she's written, but you know, she did her own memoir as a verse novel. And I can't for the, for just a second, I can't actually remember the name of the book, but um, again, she did, she did write her own memoir in verse. And I'm, almost certain that Nikki Grimes just came out with her memoir in verse as well. And, I believe so, but I, I can't recall the title. Yeah. And I think the what verse can do for anyone who's reading it, whether you, you know, whether you write poetry or whether you write verse novels or whether you write novels, is just that it teaches you, I think, or it's a study anyway, in writing spare verse, but not sparse verse if that oh sorry spare um language but not sparse language if that makes sense i mean verse is very exact you can't go on and on you can't ramble too much but if you cut it down if you pare it down you know way too much then you were left with something that doesn't have enough that doesn't breathe you know you've stripped it to the bone and then it it can't do anything and so I think it's that balance that that all of us have to strike, whether we are writing verse or prose, of how much do you say, how much do you not say? You know, and where are you going on too much, where you're not saying enough? And I think those questions you always should be asking yourself as you reread your work, and I think verse novels maybe help inform that sense within us as writers. And, yeah, and I think the other thing is just the, that often verse novels of, are like, you know, like beads on a string, and each each little bead is often a very emotionally rich and intense moment. And I think that 
because of that, verse novels show maybe show emotion or emotion-filled moments in a way that, you know, sometimes in prose you can have description or action or other things, but verse novels are often very rich in emotion. So I think if you wanted to study or read or understand how to capture emotion, they're a good way. And they're good, there's something good to add to your reading list. Well, thank you for the uh, for those other books, uh, listing those. Um, now, I know you had a chance to, you shared a couple of passages already. I was just wondering, were there... Is there any other um, passage that just sort of stood out for you that you'd also like to share? Absolutely. Let me. Okay, I might I might do the the first part, which I think is is fun because it actually ends in a in a place that has um, a touch of humor, which I always like. Earthbound. Summer visits to the enchanted air of Trinidad de Cuba are illegal now transforming my mother's hometown into a mystery of impossibility, no longer reachable in real life. My roaming dreams can only ramble through the library, dancing on flat, shiny pages all across the countries of National Geographic magazine, choosing villages with brilliant sunlight, bright parrots, green jungles, tropical heat. I've endured enough of being in between, too young for solitary trips, but more than old enough for motionless teenage isolation. Yes, I feel ready to grow up and seize the first job that promises a nomadic life. But before I can finish college and become independent, I have to start high school. And it's yeah, I mean, it's. I suppose it's the it's the feeling we all must have had as, as adolescents that you, on the one hand, can't wait to to go on and you know become an adult, and then on the other hand, there's so much left to do, and it feels like it's a it's a very long time. Yeah, it does feel like it takes forever to get there. Right. Well, um, uh, Padma, thank you so much for uh, choosing these books. I, again, the, I had not read them before, so I'm I'm grateful that I had the chance to read them. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about them today. You're very, very welcome. And, you know, I should probably actually mention that A Time to Dance is a verse novel as well. Um, yeah, so there's another oh, to add to your list if you're looking for verse novels. You can find Padma's website at padmavenkatraman.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can visit me at jleemont.com or follow me on Twitter at dreamgardensjlm. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And if you'd like to participate in a Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. Keep reading.